The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. My name is Marina Sprocky Spriggs, and I'm your host. I have a master's in professional counseling, and I am the Ippy Award-winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life, and Nasty Divorce, A Kid's Eye View. I write positive divorce advice for the Huff Post, and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. And this podcast speaks to out-of-the-box thinkers, and it's for those who hear the call of hope in always another way. And if you're very rigid and set in your beliefs, this is probably not your cup of tea. However, you should note, taste can and do change. And I want to thank everybody who listens to Always Another Way podcast, whether you see us on Facebook Live, YouTube, SoundCloud, or listening on any one of the podcast apps. And just a reminder, wherever you are, if you subscribe and rate Always Another Way, then we begin to move up. More people can hear all these wonderful and life-changing guests that I'm having on the show. And Ozone Clinics in Dallas, Texas is our February sponsor. And I've been talking a lot about what ozone therapy has personally done for me, from kicking some sickness to the curb to exponentially increasing my energy. And ozone therapy is one of the most effective methods of whole body detoxification. Ozone therapy is used by doctors and sports teams across the globe to treat illness and injury. It's used to treat a variety of chronic diseases, including cardiovascular disease, diabetes, Lyme disease, chronic hepatitis, AIDS, herpes, chronic fatigue syndrome, and many more. You can supercharge your immune system and get back to feeling like your young self again with a session in one of their ozone saunas. They also offer encephalation packages, which are things that can also go in your ears. And I have personally done that to kick a cold to the curb in two sessions. So ohzoneclinics.com, and that is located in Dallas, Texas. And today, we are going to be talking about the rhythmic language of health and disease and sound therapy with Dr. Mark Ryder. And Dr. Mark Ryder was a professor of sound therapy for 15 years, and he's been in private practice in South Lake, Colleyville, and Grapevine for over 25 years. He specializes in grief and trauma, individual and couples counseling, ADHD assessment, neurofeedback, biofeedback, medication, amino acid management, music therapy, and revisioning, which is peer-reviewed and is good for so many amazing things. So welcome to the show, Dr. Ryder. Thank you. Hi. So um, we're going to talk about a bunch of things, but you have written a book, and this was a while ago, called The Rhythmic Language of Health and Disease. Mm -hmm. And so tell us a little bit about that and about your sound, sound therapy research. Well, the rhythmic language of health and disease was the culmination of a project um, in which we were uh, trying to 
show connections between the mind and the body or between the brain and the body. Uh, and it was back in a time, uh, back in the early 90s, when we were uh, trying to find the mechanisms responsible for um, mind-body connection and how the mind can influence the body and so forth. So our study indicate we used EEG to look at a lot of people who had uh, immunological disorders like cancer and autoimmune disease, fibromyalgia, and uh, found certain signatures that uh, actually were sort of musical in a way when we looked at the EEG. Um, basically, we found that people who have illnesses, kind of chronic illnesses, get stuck in certain brainwave um, patterns or just brainwave uh, th themselves, like alpha getting stuck in alpha or getting stuck in theta. And um, so we were looking, we, we basically found that people who uh, do experiences which shift the brain, shift the EEG, and uh, will cause uh, more health in the body because we can get people unstuck from these kind of unhealthy brainwave patterns. So that's kind of it in a synopsis then. I love that. It's, yeah. So the brain is movable. You can the brain do it. is a symphony, and we need to kind of mind all the different parts of it. So. Yes, changing it up. So yeah. tell us, um, you know, when people talk about like sound therapy, sound healing, music therapy, what does that all kind of entail and the differences of those? Yeah. Well, uh, sound therapy is very interesting because it is more of a passive experience to sound. And... Uh, we can, we can talk about some of the things that people do, but uh, like singing bowls and tuning forks and some of those things, uh, there's, a, there's more of a passive element like receiving a massage, whereas psychotherapy would be something, or music therapy, like when you're doing a drum circle or an improvisational singing group, uh, there's more participatory uh, elements to it. Very nice. And that, that brings up different brain dynamics. So. Okay, so what, 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 what kind of dynamics do you think, or what is kind of the research show for some of those things? And you can talk about either one or both of them. Well, I'll, I'll start with the topic I know the least, which is sound therapy. But um, I've got several friends who've written books on sound therapy. Uh, Don Campbell wrote The uh, Mozart Effect um, a long time ago. And um, Jonathan Goldman wrote a book on sound therapy. And so uh, they both came out of the music therapy tradition, but really were exploring the kind of types of vibrations and acoustics that different types of music has. Um, so, but some of the research now is really interesting because it's showing that uh, there's doing ultrasound experiments, for example, on microtubules, which are little uh, proteins in within the neuron. And they're finding that they can actually change the stem cells within these uh, microtubules uh, by just using ultrasound vibration. That's pretty amazing. So the patient doesn't really have to be involved in that experience, and uh, there's very little research on it, And but there is, uh, I think it's really coming. They're, they're looking at some experiments right now to see if they can improve Alzheimer's disease um, with by changing the, the brain with ultrasound. That's nice. And so since you were a professor of music for a long time, music therapy, mm -hmm. what, what is the thing that you... I guess, notice the most or the most beneficial for people or what what you liked the most about that and saw? Well, the participatory element was really what <clears throat> I enjoyed most about music because anybody who, of course, all music therapists, all musicians grow up uh, using music on themselves first yeah. because we use it in therapeutic ways, not specifically de designed by a therapist, but we all thought that it helped us in some way, maybe self-esteem if we learned how to play an instrument. Uh, maybe with emotional expression, if it uh, if we learned how to 
express feelings to music, um, movement, uh, because it involves a lot of physical exercise and then discipline. So, um, yeah, and then I began to research a lot of these elements when I was at um, teaching at Montana State and also at SMU in Dallas and finding out that the body is affected quite uh, deeply by music and the participation in music. Uh, so uh, these these go and kind of things go into like, um, well, imitation is like one of the, the only features of the brain that is inherited. Oh, really? The ability to imitate. So that is the formation of all language, of course, music and and uh, motor behavior, so sports and everything else, communication. And uh, so music therapy kind of started by uh, taking a room full of, uh, we used to call them, so disa developmental disabled kids who had motor uh, impairments, uh, speech impairments, um, and mental impairments as well. And when you start to play music, it uh, stimulates the thalamus. And the thalamus is the kind of the sensory motor integrator in the brain. And so immediately we start to feel like we want to dance or move if we're hearing a beat. Yeah. And so uh, we noticed very, I mean, this is back in the post-war, War II, around the 40s and 50s, that, you know, if you, a lot of these kids didn't have services, but there were more need, services needed because a lot of the parents had uh, died or become disabled because of uh, World War II. And so uh, England was another country that used quite a bit of music in post-World War II. So they began to find, interestingly, that when they would imitate some of the behaviors that these kids have, because they may not have full speech, but they would have echolalia, they would have motor perseverative behaviors, uh, spinning and, and so forth. And if you match the music to those behaviors, that suddenly the kid would like tune in and, and they'd start to learn language, they'd start to learn behaviors. And so it was so cool to be able to create this communication response. That's amazing. Just by imitating them. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And then I did see, this is like a side note, uh, there was a video going around somewhere of, and maybe it was Parkinson's people, but when they would sing, and it mm -hmm. was like songs from like their youth that they knew, like mm -hmm. Old MacDonald, the tremors slowed down and were able to sing just that sing-songy Old MacDonald, you know, exactly like that, just live. That's super cool. Yeah, and even different types of music, like uh, stimulative music does affect more beneficially Parkinson's and other motor disorders like cerebral palsy, uh, whereas maybe for anxiety reduction or sleep, you know, we might use a sedative music or a calming music for that. Very cool. And so, um, so tell me like a little bit more about like your experiences with it and, and what you've seen and, and done. And you just touched a little bit on that, but just, um, or, or just more research that, you know, anything else kind of interesting that goes that way. Well, uh, part of the research that I spearheaded at SMU uh, involved creating a new type of music that wasn't around. Because we, we, we uh, knew that by imitating behavior, by imitating mood, and there's a psychiatrist that used to sit in the, on his piano in the back of the room while the client was maybe laying down on the couch, and he would just play m music that matched the patient's mood. Nice. But then he found if he wanted to get them out of depression, he would start with depression music, and then he would kind of start to improvise in a more of a uh, lullaby or kind of a more stimulative fa fashion. And so he began to uh, have a curative effect if you go into his um, his uh, private practice and you might be depressed and you come out being happy because he would be able to kind of pull that depression into um, happier music. And we call that pulling entrainment. 
Entrainment, nice. And so I was uh, one of the first to develop uh, the concept of entrainment with music. And uh, so we developed an improvisatory uh, technique um, whereby we would match the imagery that patients had. Um, it might be imagery of depression or, or happiness and things like that. And we did a lot of studies on medicine with imagery, again, the mind-body imagery of uh, what we call medical imagery to help the mind heal the, the body of uh, autoimmune disease, cancer, and a lot of other different uh, illnesses, like a lot of pain disorders. So this music would start, and for a couple of minutes, it would match this pain music, or match the, the client's imagery of their pain. So it might be cacophonous, a little loud and grating. And then after a couple of minutes, the patient's ready to kind of, you know, turn it off. And so then we start to shift our music, and then for about the next eight minutes or so, the music shifts into a more calming uh, lullaby kind of music, which um, matches the images that the patient described of their immune system. Sometimes they're pretty vague. I don't have really any image of my immune system. Yeah, the doctor yeah. showed me these radiological images of my cancer, so I know what it looks like and all that, but I have no image of what my immune system is. So we educate them about the immune system. We um, have different instruments that will register a, like a finger symbol that will register um, an immunoglobulin coming out of the hypothalamus or something. So we all these uh, elements are embedded in the music uh, that we're playing. And so the patient gets this marvelous experience that, A, it's made for them. And secondly, um, it has a curative effect because then their uh, physical response to the, to, the, to the new imagery, which is now healthy imagery, uh, is that they have much better management of their pain, their disease, and so forth. That's awesome. And so it does. So are the people, is your, are their eyes closed while they're doing this open or? Well, we'll use a lot of uh, several patients, in fact, to play the music instruments along maybe with one music therapist. And then the patient that's being focused on will be laying in the middle. And so we're kind of in a horseshoe around them. So that's nice. And then how mm -hmm. long does it take? So if somebody were coming in and they have, uh, you know, something autoimmune, cancer, whatever, and they're like, okay, I want to use this as an, you know, something else mm -hmm. to add to my healing. It can work really, really well in about 10 minutes. Nice. In fact, most of our improvisational pieces are about 10 minutes that we've recorded. Very, very I've got cool. a sampling of one on my um, website, drmarkrider.com. Uh, not, not, the whole thing's not on there. It just kind of gives a, a little snippet of the beginning, a couple of in the middle, and at the end, kind of how the music progresses and changes. Nice. So. And then you mentioned something, too, about... Um, about noise pollution, sound pollution. Well, if you're investigating sound, you have yeah. to be aware of sound pollution. So, um, yeah, and sound pollution uh, can is is really becomes a factor when you're listening to something uh, chronically, maybe several hours a day. That's uh, over 50 decibels. Okay. So. So if you've been uh, so traffic or loud concerts can go up to above 100 decibels. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of thing where you just are, oh, <laughs> you feel I know. it, not just in your ears, but you feel it in your whole body. Yeah. But so you think some drum and bass like that. <laughs> yeah. So 50 is not all that, that high, but you know, so if it's going on for a significant period of time, it can cause not only ringing in the ears, which we all know from the sixties, if mm. we've been to rock concerts, uh, but it can cause hypertension. It causes sleep problems, uh, stress related problems, increased cortisol and, and a lot of negative health problems. Ooh. Yeah, so. stay away from that. Or do earplugs help? I'm wondering. Earplugs do help, and uh, that, which is what a lot of people and they have noise canceling earplugs that a lot of people at the airports and so forth will use to try to help with that. Very nice. But. 
So let's see. Um, what else do you think um, about just, you know, benefits or anything else maybe just that well we some of the, the, the really cool things that a lot of people have maybe have been lucky enough to participate in uh sometimes at their churches or other places where there's um singing not just singing but improvisational singing that we call toning and also um, um drum circles i'd like to say a little bit about that yeah let's talk about yeah let's yeah. talk about all because they're so fun that you just can't you know when you hear a drum circle going on you just can't help but you know be attracted to it and want to participate yeah talk and, tell us uh, about that i love drums so well drum circles uh do nothing less than boost the immune system uh turn off inflammatory chemicals in the brain uh increase oxytocin which is the connecting chemical in the brain um and just a lot of other things i mean i've reduce cortisol so and so forth so um but the, the neat part is that it they're able to just doing a drum circle is even boost your immune system so what does that look like if somebody said okay i want to go to a drum circle what is what does that entail you show up and what happens well a lot of drum circles are just kind of uh the the less uh controlled or supervised drum circles will just be kind of people just drumming for maybe uh, I've done I've done some of those where they'll have maybe 15 minute sessions, but then you'll have another session, and basically they can sound fairly similar, and you're just kind of like uh, exercising uh -huh. as you're beating the drum. But uh, so there's not a lot of different uh, differentiation sometimes when they're supervised, and they're real cool because there's like call and response, and so you may be led on to call and respond your, your, with your own rhythm. And then it goes around to the next person, and then she does her call, and then the rest of us respond. Oh. And so it can go around the room, and then and then we all come back every now and then to one big cacophonous, you know, but in tune. I mean, you know, rhythmic uh, uh, acceleration of all our drums and everything. So uh, those are so anyway, those are, are really exceptional experiences and a nice way to just get a little bit of healing in, but mm -hmm. but fun too. Yeah. yeah. And fun. Okay, mm -hmm. now what about the other, the... Um, the toning uh, yeah. groups, uh, I used to lead uh, when I was at SMU, and they're pretty unusual because it's based on the idea that when you're... Uh, we had done some experiments uh, with people look, hooked up to EEG and we found that when they would tone, which is when you're just uh, kind of exploring your, your vocal pathway, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like a siren from a low sound slowly up to a higher tone, uh, back down to a slow one, you'll kind of find a frequency or a pitch that seems to resonate in some way with what's going on. Sometimes you may have pain and that, that you might find a frequency that kind of causes that pain to kind of resonate a little bit. But mm -hmm. then if you keep toning on that frequency, uh, the pain will go away. Nice. And so we would also find with the EEG that it would reduce ADD, that people, so some, if, if people who are listening out there, if they want to help with ADD uh, in the morning, uh, either in the shower or on your way to work or school, yeah. uh, to just kind of do some random vocalizing. So you kind of go up and down, you kind of find a pitch and you just stay on the pitch until your breath Less, you know, until your breath goes away. So you just start and like you, low and, and then, then go, you start oh. back again and you just, but you usually just stay on the same pitch. Just, ah, and just keep going. And there's, there's overtone chanters who can really get the overtones going. And wow, we have a lot of suspicion that that does something healing as well, because it may activate the, um, the higher frequencies you see in overtone chanting uh, and other instruments like the gong and so forth will uh, uh, tap into the uh, vagus nerve, which is uh, just above the ear, actually, and it's uh, responsible for uh, the parasympathetic relaxation response. Very nice. So, so yeah. Any so, I, I think our research and what we know about this stuff is really in, in its infancy. 
And uh, but you know, it'd be really exciting to be around a hundred years, thousand years, to see what is able to be done with this and in that amount of time. So yeah, just from yeah. from since when you've been in there, just mm -hmm. all these different things, and then you've done like the research with the EEG and mm -hmm. other things that can just show you like okay, this really works. Mm -hmm. And then I'm too of the believer that if you don't have access to that, that you know in your body, yeah. you know what works. You can also do a blood test or other things if you have, mm -hmm. you know, if you have issues to figure that out. Oh, we've collected all the variables, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. <laughs> and what else, so did we not talk about that you think is just important for people to know about music therapy, about sound, about, about all of this? Well, learning an instrument is almost as critical as learning a foreign language. In fact, uh, learning an instrument at an early age does help with learning a foreign language. So we know that there's a lot of cognitive development. The Mozart effect has shown that uh, music that is uh, somewhat structured similarly to that music, uh, classical music would be the, the period, um, seems to help with learning. And so there's, um, you know, so picking up an instrument to just help learn. It causes, you can create neuroplasticity in your brain within five minutes of uh, just learning a new chord. Nice. And so that kind of then teaches you about other neuroplasticity because you just kind of uh, chain that along to other types of things you're learning. But then when you're good enough to just play by yourself, um, then you can, can almost become ready to start playing with somebody else. And that is where you get the, all the magic happening because oxytocin in our studies, we've uh, been able to find that we can light up the brain, uh, the brain's mirror neuron system, which is the connecting and empathy part of the brain. And then we can light that part of the brain up. Uh, we'll do improvisations and have people hooked up to EEG. And when, when they get in the zone, uh, their EEG start to match wow. and they become highly correlated together. So that's responsible for being able possibly to even communicate at a distance with each other. With the mother, when the proverbial mother, when she feels her daughter's pain a thousand miles away, she can tap into it. Yeah, that's super cool. So the biofield is something we hear about in sound therapy that maybe goes, extends about five feet outside of our bodies and includes, uh, you know, basically just that, a non-tangible type of uh, energy field that, you know, that a lot of therapies tap into, like Reiki and... Um, the uh, biofield tuning, which is where they use tuning forks. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but this suggests that, you know, the biofield may extend even, you know, thousands of miles if we can, you know, tap into that le level. So, so, but connecting with music instruments is, is just about as good as sex. And that's, uh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's an excuse. And it's just Get so, the drums. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very nice. And um, so I guess, um, you know, is there anything else, anything else maybe before we kind of wrap up that we need to know about this? And then we'll tell everybody where they can well, find the, you. Too. Yeah, so the, the, the going back, I don't think I finished the toning thing. So yeah. basically you would tone for about five to ten minutes. Okay. Now what we do in groups is so much uh, more fun because when you're just toning by yourself, you're just kind of uh, tickling and kind of moving around that tone that kind of uh, tickles or kind of stimulates parts of your body that may seem to need kind of tuning at that moment. Right. But you do it for about five to 10 minutes. But when we do it in groups, we actually have the person, we have the whole group. I've done it in groups of larger than maybe 150. And so we're all laying down in an auditorium on our backs. And then we just start turning all the lights off mm -hmm. and then we start to tone. And so it's so cool because everybody will start to communicate one by one in the group, you know, with different types of sound like laughter and chuckling and animal sounds and different things. But then after about 15, 20 minutes, everybody settles down into this just accord 
you know, first it's kind of a, an ohm, but it, then it'll have chord features where everybody's contributing different harmonics to the chord. And boy, I tell you, that's as stimulating. Wow, very, very that, neat. That is extremely stimulating, so. Very, very cool. So many, many reasons to just hook up to some sound, any mm -hmm. sound, plain music, mm -hmm. plain with others. Yeah. And then... Um, and and then oxytocin also stimulates the uh, immune system, so you're actually healing the body and the heart, which is the emotional part, uh, when you turn on that oxytocin by connecting. So, Well, there you go. I mean, what other reason do you need aside from that? I don't need any others. To get some sound. <laughs> yeah. And if you and, um, and Dr. Ryder was on one of my earliest shows to talk about another thing that he does called revisioning. Um, and then let's just, uh, we'll just talk like high level briefly about that. And then you can go back. I think it's episode 14. Um, it's just a groundbreaking. He's got a book on it. It's peer reviewed. But just briefly tell everybody about your revisioning that you do. Well, revisioning is the use of a mirror to simulate uh, reattachment of a lost loved one in grief. And this is, uh, it was completely borrowed from Ramachandran's technique of mirror therapy for phantom limb pain in amputees and stroke victims. So I started doing, uh, inevitably you get somebody that comes in who has a stroke or, you know, uh, an amputation. And uh, so I was doing a little bit of that work because I'd read about it and found that uh, you just had a brain idea one day that this might really be good to uh, help with complicated grief because people would come in with anxiety and depression. You could help that with different therapies, medication, uh, but then they, they still couldn't look at a picture of their lost loved one without having significant distress. They couldn't even talk about the person. So when you when you set this up in a mirror, which is, I'm going uh, to explain this pretty briefly, yeah. then it, um, uh, as, you, as if you're doing mirror therapy, so basically you would be my lost loved one. Yeah. A, you'd be your picture in a prop that yeah. would be sitting next to me. Yeah. And then the mirror would be there. And so I'm looking in the mirror, I'm seeing as if you were were still next to me, even though I know it's your picture, you know, right. not your real person. Uh, but that's enough to, that trick or that illusion in the brain is enough to uh, really cure complicated grief. I know, and I've seen that live. And then if you get back on that episode, I'm going to put this all in the show notes. You can hear the whole story about revisioning, which and works for more than just complex grief, too. Can I mention one last thing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, since then, we have started to use music as the mirror. <gasps> what? Yeah. Tell us about so that. We got time. I've got, I've got, uh, so I've started working with some clients that I've got some videotapes on in which uh, instead of using a mirror to hold their picture up, because we mm -hmm. use it. When we, when we look at trauma and DID and personality disorder and things like that, depression, uh, we'll do drawings instead of photographs. Yes. And so, um, what, when, but the person doesn't have to hold the drawing up to the mirror. Yeah. We can simply have them close their eyes and then I can be make, in the background making music. So I'm sitting there with two different music instruments um, making music that kind of matches where they need to go in their integration work. Nice. And so we've had some clients that have like responded just as well to that as they did to the uh, regular using the mirror. So really, really cool. Yeah. And then what a neat experience and drug free. Mm -hmm. I mean, so there you go. Side effect, nothing but good. Yeah. Super cool. I really like that. And so for all of you listening, um, you can go to Dr. Mark Ryder. It's M-A-R-K-R-I-D-E-R dot com to find out more about Dr. Ryder and everything that he does. And then I'll also have the link to the episode on revisioning so you can learn more about that. And I want to thank you so much for spending your time. And if you see a local sound class where you are, go check one out. If you are 
thinking about picking up an instrument, we just gave you a whole bunch of good reasons to do that and then join a friend. So thank you all for listening. And you know that there is always another way. Thank <laughs> you.